from KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo recently released a nine-point proposal to revamp the city's embattled police department. He says the plan will reform, not defund the police, while squarely addressing nationwide outrage over racial injustice and police brutality. But critics of Mayor Licardo's plan are calling for more significant and swift changes to the department that was recently marred in a scandal involving racist behavior by officers. Sam Licardo joins us to talk about police reform and other issues facing the city, including shutdown orders that are dealing a financial blow to many households and businesses. And welcome, Mayor Licardo. Good to have you aboard. Great to be with you, Michael. Uh, good to have you here. But we just talked about defunding and you're not defunding. And I guess the, the real question here is, uh, are you going far enough? Are you really going to with the kind of reforms you put forward? And we'll talk about them in detail, I hope. But uh, it's a nine point plan. I know you didn't want to go to Ten Commandments. You went to nine. But we're talking about um, something that in many people's minds doesn't really address enough systemic racism or structural racism. Yeah, I appreciate um, the criticism because it's important. You know, we did not defund in San Jose. I, we have reduced the police budget by about $7 million as a result of budget constraints. And the council was unanimous in saying that's what we're doing this year. Now, the advocates of defund are fundamentally right about something that's really, really important, which is this is a moment for all of us uh, in every city in the country to reimagine how we deliver public safety services and whether police are always appropriate. We know there are many calls for service uh, in which a civilian may be better trained or better equipped than somebody with a badge and a gun. And so that is a very important insight. And the activists and advocates, I think, are bringing that issue properly to the fore. What I think is not often appreciated enough is that San Jose already has a very unique experience with defunding. Uh, in fact, we've undergone a very painful defunding experience over the last decade. Uh, we already had the most thinly staffed police department of any major city in the country, and then we lost nearly 600 officers uh, through a combination of pension reform and pay cuts and layoffs and so forth. And so. Uh, that experience has been very instructive for us, and that's why we launched, for example, community service officer programs a few years ago, and a lot of other programs to try to find other ways to respond, really out of budgetary necessity. Uh, so I don't think there's any dispute about the core issue. I think the question is how we do it, and I think some advocates would prefer that we simply lay off 200 cops uh, and essentially figure out how to better respond to 1.2 million 911 calls that we get every year. Uh, my approach is let's make sure we know where we want to land before we jump. Well, you probably are aware of the fact that we had uh, Raj Jayadev, excuse me, stumbling over that name, uh, of Debug, uh, who really brought up on the program the importance of going after structural racism and said essentially the plan you have for reform is regressive. We heard that also from uh, the head of the NAACP down there from Judge uh, Ladoris Cordell, formerly uh, on the Watchdog San Jose Police Commission. Uh, I'm just wondering what your response is again to what I brought up a moment ago about the fact that structural racism seems to be what those who advocate def totally funding or at least partial defunding are behind. They say what you have is not going to change police culture. You can't train away cultural racism. Yeah. Look, I, I don't dispute that fundamental fact. And I, I would, first of all, say I think Judge Cordell did not quite say what was 
suggested there, and I encourage you to talk to her directly on about that. But what, what I, I would say is, is this, we have structural racism that pervades every major institution in our society, including our every police department as well. This is something we are grappling with as a country. It is most palpable in police departments, of course, because we know the police have the lawful ability to use deadly force, and that results in the horrible realities that we've seen too often with George Floyd and Freddie Gray and so many others. And so there's so much more we need to do about structural racism nationwide. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, certainly within our own department. We saw that clearly through a recent scandal that we saw uh, with several officers and former officers who participated in what I would consider to be racist social media posts on Facebook. Uh, we have been aggressive. I think this police chief, Eddie Garcia, has been very clear. He fired an officer back in 2016 who engaged in a post that was insensitive, uh, at the very least, to Black Lives Matter uh, advocates. And unfortunately, that decision was reversed by an unaccountable arbitrator. So there's no question that we can do more and that racist cops need to get fired and in some cases prosecuted if what they're doing is criminal. Uh, but you don't suddenly come up with a reform plan that eliminates structural racism in any institution. That's much harder work. And what I put forward were nine proposals. As you said, it wasn't 10 because I'm a big believer these were not handed down on Mount Sinai. This is the start of a conversation. These are specific proposals. And I'd say a couple of them are proposals that you aren't seeing in many other major city uh, police departments, precisely because they are so hard. Uh, reforming the disciplinary process to substantially change arbitration rules. That's not something we're seeing in other cities throughout the country. And the Washington Post exposed that there were 451 officers fired in 37 different cities that all got rehired because of unaccountable arbitrators and reversing decisions to get rid of racist and, and, and uh, you know, violative bad cops. Uh, we're also, I'm also advocating to take investigation of uh, police misconduct out of the police department. Uh, let's give it to an independent agency like the independent police auditor uh, and essentially eliminate the role of internal affairs. Uh, that's not something you see in most cities throughout the country. So these are not easy things to do. It'll take a lot of work, but this isn't all we're going to do. And we're going to continue to engage in this conversation very publicly. When you talk about independent uh, police auditors, for example, are they going to be able uh, to review cases uh, as well as investigate and audit? Uh, currently, they can review cases. What I'm uh, arguing is that they should be able to investigate as well. And so they would make independent findings uh, and that ultimately those findings, if they are different than the actions of the police department, then the council and the public would be aware of where those differences are as they are today when they review investigations. So yes, I'm advocating taking the investigative power over police misconduct out of the police department. And that is not something easily done in this city or any other city. There's been a big fight as we've seen in other cities. And is there anything in your plan about uh, restorative justice? Yeah, I, I think there is a real opportunity for us as in the, in the fifth provision of the plan, as we think about reimagining policing, for example, uh, there's a real opportunity for us uh, to better engage with faith-based organizations, with community organizations, uh, that will obviously be more trusted partners and engaging meaningfully uh, with those who are in distress, those who are struggling in our communities uh, and helping them 
and be able to rebuild their lives. And we know that many of those calls don't require police uh, officer. Uh, and we need to be carefully looking at those places where we can better insert uh, those community partners. And where do the where's the police officers union fit into this? Is it, are they pretty much behind your plan because they've been trying, uh, according to many lights, to actually discredit Black Lives Movement? Uh, I've had only very preliminary conversations with their the head of their union. I don't expect they're going to support several of these provisions. I don't expect they're going to support changes to arbitration that I've advocated. Uh, I don't expect they're gonna support taking investigation of police misconduct out of the police department. Uh, of course, that is the standard in most cities throughout the country to have an internal affairs department. I think we, many of us recognize that police misconduct is anything but internal. It's very public, it's very real, and we need to confront it squarely and with an independent agency and in a public way. Again, we're talking to San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo, and what do you think of the mayor's proposals, and how is San Jose faring during the coronavirus pandemic? We'll talk about that as well, but if you have questions about either of those, or if you want to comment, join us now at our toll-free number, the number to call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email questions to forum at kqed.org, and uh, Mayor Licardo, can I ask you to talk about the need of uh, police in San Jose? Uh, you've been certainly, I think, rather vocal about the fact that many people have pleaded with you for more police officers. And yet when uh, Raj was on, uh, Raj Ayadev, uh, he was talking about you cherry picking those kinds of things. He said that, you know, there are many, many people, especially uh, revelatory during the protests who were opposed to more police officers and really had really concerns about too much policing. Oh, there's no question there were hundreds of protesters who, who called on us to defund the police and their voices uh, were clearly heard uh, and they're very vocal. Uh, but often the voices that aren't heard are also very important. And I've seen certainly from my own personal experience in going to community meetings uh, and in year after year in which we do community surveys uh, and year after year in which we gather uh, neighborhood and community leaders from diverse parts of our city to express what they want the most. Uh, I am hearing that communities are, are pleading for more police and not less. And, and I say that because we, I mentioned we're the, the city in the United States, the major city with the most thinly staffed police department in the country. Just to give some context, San Francisco, which is a smaller city, has three times as many officers per capita as the city of San Jose. Uh, LA, similarly, two and a half to three times as many officers per capita. Um, we already are not able to respond to priority one calls, which tend to be life-threatening calls, about 600,000 a year that we get. We're not able to respond to half of them within the standard time nationally for responding to priority one calls, which is six minutes or less. Uh, so we have serious challenges being able to simply address the critical needs of our community when there is violent crime, when there's domestic violence, when there's sexual assault, to be able to respond as police departments should because we do not have enough police officers. That's not to say we need police officers for every response. And I think there are interesting experiments happening throughout the country right now. And we're all gonna learn a lot through those about how perhaps we can insert civilians in different ways. But for the violent crimes, which we, I think many of us believe we critically need police officers to respond, um, that's not something we're at a staffing level now to be able to respond sufficiently to. Let me get your response, Mayor Licardo, to a comment from a listener named Joe who says, 
I've lost all faith in Mayor Licardo and Chief of Police Garcia when they gave that press conference shortly after the Black Lives Matter protest. The two of them went to great lengths to justify San Jose's racist responses to the protesters. What do you say to that kind of comment, if you would? Yeah, I think, uh, look, I, I'm not going to speak for the police department. I'll just speak for myself. Uh, I was very clear uh, that first, uh, any officer who is engaged in any conduct uh, that stepped over the line with regard to the use of violence or disrespecting protesters should be disciplined and, if necessary, fired if, that's, if the, the offense is sufficiently grave. I immediately called for a ban on rubber bullets because it was very obvious that rubber bullets were being used far too indiscriminately and were harming way too many protesters, uh, and including innocent civilians who were not engaging in any uh, violent behavior that would be deserving of, of, of any kind of response like that. Um, I have called for provision by the Sensei PD of videotape of the many instance which we know have made their way around in social media so that we can all get a fuller view of what exactly happened. And as recently as yesterday, I issued another memorandum urging the immediate release of that video. I don't have the authority as mayor under this city charter to tell them to release anything. I have to go to the council and ask the council for approval. And that's what we did in June. And that's what I'm going to do again with this latest memo is urge them to release that, that information so we can all have a very clear view of what happened. There's no question that there were several officers who stepped over the line. There's also no question in my mind as I looked at some of the video clips uh, that they were uh, perhaps by some advocates uh, uh, cut in time in various ways that hid more complete information that would have been available about what exactly happened before the officer uh, stepped out of the line to try to arrest somebody. It's important that you see the entire view and not just the five second clip. Uh, but I think it's important for us to get this information out there so we can have an honest public conversation about it. And once again, if you'd like to join us in this conversation, you can give us a call at our toll free number. It's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email from Ali, who asks, uh, how about greatly reducing funding of the prosecutor's office instead of the police? Uh, we actually have no control over that. Uh, that is a county function in the state of California. Uh, I can tell you in Santa Clara County, there's already been a very large proposal from the county executive to reduce the DA's budget. Uh, I uh, will not be weighing in on that, but I will say um, there have been uh, many important partnerships we have with the district attorney's office around particularly community efforts uh, that do not involve police officers that actually involve community leaders stepping up to help make their community safer. And I would be very concerned about steep cuts in the DA's budget. Could I ask you also about something that has created concern and that is the changing of the city charter, uh, charter and expanding your authority as mayor with a strong mayor proposal? It's controversial and I'd like you to weigh in. Yeah, it is controversial. And, and you know, I appreciate this is something that's going to require a lot of public discussion. Uh, we've had a couple of hearings so far, and we'll have another one on July 28th. Uh, you know, the fundamental concern, as we look at large cities throughout the state of California, um, San Francisco, Oakland, LA, Fresno, San Diego, they all have mayors with executive authority. San Jose is the only exception. And that's the general rule for large cities throughout the country is to have a mayor with some executive authority, the ability to tell a city manager, a police chief, a department head, look, this is what you got to do uh, to implement 
council policy. Now, council can always disagree with that uh, and, and vote differently, but the ability to implement is critically important, particularly in times of crisis. And that is exactly what we found ourselves in. Uh, in this city, obviously in cities throughout the country, as we are dealing with a pandemic, we're dealing with uh, a very severe economic recession. We're dealing with, I think, righteous calls from a community around police accountability in cities throughout the country. And so when there are orders that are issued, for example, a curfew order, or uh, I'm attempting to try to ban rubber bullets, or uh, there may be issues with regard to the police disclosure of videotape about a controversial incident, I need to be able to tell the public and the public needs to know that someone that they voted for is accountable ultimately for making that decision rather than a bureaucrat whose name they never will know and they have no accountability over. They can't vote them out. Uh, and so this is fundamentally about responsiveness and accountability. You know, for example, when I proposed banning uh, the use of rubber bullets uh, during the protests, uh, I basically had to have a public hearing about it, have the council meet. I couldn't do it outright. The council agreed with the recommendation. Now we're going to come back in August for a formal ban. In the meantime, the police chief said, well, we won't use rubber bullets for crowd control, but we're still going to use them in crowds uh, when there's an aggressor. Well, that wasn't what I proposed, but the problem is now the public believes that we're somehow stepping backward because I proposed an outright ban and a police chief is doing something different. We need to have clear align, uh, alignment and accountability so that residents know who is responsible for making decisions in their city. And that's what they expect in big cities throughout the country is that the mayor is responsible for making these decisions. And we want to ensure we have a structure that is responsive to that basic expectation of our residents. Again, our guest is Mayor Sam Licardo, Mayor of San Jose. And let's bring a caller on. Paul, join us. You're on the air. In, in the 1930s, uh, guns, uh, Tommy guns were, uh, there was a national law that they had to be registered. Why not register Tommy guns? I mean, uh, automatic guns. Number two, I've seen the training of policemen. They are rewarded for shooting at the heart on a dummy, you know, on design, on perfect shooting. If they're taught to shoot, and they get rewards and everything for, for that, medals and everything for how well they close they get to the, to the, to the center. I think that we have to retrain uh, policemen to shoot a leg if it's really essential or something like that, that killing is not, uh, aiming for the heart is not the goal. Hi, right, Paul, I thank you for those. Uh, Mayor LaCarta, let's first talk about registering guns since yeah. you brought that up. No, I've been a very strong advocate of gun control. Uh, fully automatic weapons are prohibited uh, in the country uh, throughout the United States. Semi-automatic weapons, however, are allowed, uh, though I wish they were not. And uh, I've been a strong advocate uh, for a series of measures, including um, actually uh, ensuring that there would be liability rules in place uh, to, to actually force greater accountability for gun violence. Um, uh, there are many controversial gun control proposals I've been supportive of, uh, so I won't go into great de detail on those, but suffice to say, I'm a strong supporter of gun control. Uh, with regard to officers and use of force, like, the fundamental reality is, is that we need to be able to find alternatives to the use of guns, period. Um, and less than lethal uses of force are critically necessary to use uh, when those, there are situations when there's violence and an officer still has to be able to get someone into custody without actually killing them or seriously harming them. 
gets weighed down, doesn't the Mayor Licardo, to, to officer training and to the necessity for better training? I don't know what he's talking about with yeah, absolutely. shooting for and the heart, but, you know, yeah. a lot of people say you need better training in terms of use of weapons, period. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, four years ago, Chief Garcia implemented de-escalation training, uh, just as he implemented uh, implicit bias training and, and, and a host of other trainings. And the benefit we have seen so far is uh, through independent studies of data that has been collected here, and we ask independent consultants in Washington and University of Texas and others to look at our data, uh, we have seen significant improvements. For example, we've eliminated uh, the racial disparity in terms of use of force uh, against individuals versus the arrest rate of those same individuals when we look at the demographics. So there's some progress, but we know we have a lot more work to do. And so training is critically important. Data collection is important, and it's important to have external independent authorities uh, really taking a hard view and, and helping us understand where we can improve. I've mentioned a few times uh, Rajayadev, uh, who was on with us uh, from Debug, and I'd like you to respond to something he said when he was on with us talking actually very critically about your proposals. Let's hear. You know, these days, it sounds like every elected official has some sort of like enumerated list that is going to make the problem of institutional and structural racism go away. And that's clearly no such list exists when you keep adding to the institution itself. And so this nine point plan by the mayor, uh, we believe is completely inadequate to deal with the structural racism that's endemic to the institution itself. And clearly was was put out and exposed through this recent scandal that may have shocked a, a number of people outside of San Jose, but it certainly was not a revelation for people here in San Jose, particularly just coming off the protest where we heard similar comments in the streets. And so the 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 difference now versus say the time Michael when you brought up uh, Officer White making that horrible comment on Twitter is that before the demand was essentially personality-driven or individualized accountability, the demand in today's world, in a post-murder of George Floyd, the demand is structural change, not individual piecemeal reforms. And that's what this plan essentially is speaking to. Mayor Licardo, inadequate again. You know, I think Raj is fundamentally correct about something that's very important, which is a nine-point plan, or if this were a 12-point plan, or if you made it better somehow or another, it's still not gonna eliminate structural or institutional racism in any organization. And again, by the way, it's not just our police departments. Let's all be clear about that because I think we all need to look at ourselves very carefully. That talking, being said, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I thought you paused yeah. there. Go ahead. That, finish that being your thought, said, it, it is not the case that the overwhelming majority of my residents or residents in this country believe that the answer is to eliminate police departments. In fact, you know, some of the most progressive ideas that are out there, for example, the CAHOOTS program up in Eugene, Oregon, which is used as a national model. You know, the co-founder of that program is very clear, as he said in national media, this is a partnership they have with police departments where they have mental health workers out in the community working with homeless and responding to the mental health episodes that are happening out there in Eugene. Um, he, he's very clear, we need the police department because if it's a situation where someone's violent or a criminal act, you know, we're not going to put our mental health workers in that situation. We need to have police officers. And, you know, you look at surveys just as recently as, you know, the Pew survey that came out on July 9th, 73% of Americans believe that spending in their local communities on police should be equal or greater than it is today, not less. Uh, and that is not just white Americans or Republican Americans. It's 
you know, they look at the data, it's a multicultural supermajority, multiracial supermajority that believes we still need police in our communities. And I happen to think they're right. Uh, as long as we have a country in which we allow 300 million guns out on the street, we can't assume that simply putting folks out there who don't have the ability to use force when necessary um, is it, going to somehow address the realities we see every day in domestic violence and sexual assault and so many other violent crimes in our communities. Let me bring another caller aboard here. Mason, thank you for waiting. Join us. Mason's joining us from Berkeley. Good morning. Hello? Yeah, hi, Mason. You're on the air, please. Oh, hi. Um, I was just going to comment. One of the big discussions in all this is police unions and sort of pointing at police unions, and they've, they've certainly said some a lot of obnoxious things. But, but I would respectfully say to the mayor and the council, you sign their contract. You tell them what they're allowed to do. And, you know, if you sign a contract that has consequences for racist behavior, um, you know, that, that's something you can do. So I think, you know, that discussion has been maybe a little lopsided. I do want to also say one more quick thing, Mayor. It's really interesting. You said you have the thinnest police force per capita of major cities. You also have one of the lowest crime rates. So it's obviously not just the number of police that are uh, driving the crime rate. Thanks. Thank you for those comments, Mayor Lucardo. Yeah, good points. First on the crime rate issue, I will say that, you know, over the last decade, since 2010 to 2019, so we saw that dramatic reduction in our police force. We did see a rise in the violent crime rate by about a third in San Jose. So there were real consequences to the loss of police officers. And I, I don't mean to say that there is a clear correlation that more police officers mean safer city. That's certainly not true in the data. But what is true is that if you get below a certain threshold, uh, it's really problematic. And you can't have a severely understaffed police department uh, if you want a safe city. And so we, we need to be realistic about, about what is out there in the community. With regard to the, the, the police contracts, you know, I think he's absolutely right. It is up to individual councils. Now, the actual disciplining uh, of an officer, those decisions are made by a police chief and the brass. And I happen to think that Chief Eddie Garcia has made very good decisions, such as in 2016, when we had an officer out there tweeting, uh, you know, very uh, awful things about Black Lives Matter. He fired the officer, and that was the right thing to do. There was an arbitration process, and as you know, there's also state law that makes it very challenging. Uh, so that then that officer gets reinstated. And so those are the things I want to change through the contract. And certainly I want to advocate for changes in state law. That contract is going to be up now. We have only had a very short 12-month rollover. The police officers got 0% pay increase because we're in the middle of a crisis and we don't have time to negotiate a contract. In the next 12 months, we'll have an opportunity to take a very close look at this. I'm going to have to close it off now, Mayor Lucardo, but good to have you with us. I'm sorry, I really wanted to get with you uh, talking about uh, shutdowns and all of that and opening up again. But uh, the, the police issues obviously took over the segment here, but I'm glad we got so much illumination from you. In fact, I'm going to read a comment from a listener named Ron who says, Mayor Lucardo is very reasonable. I'm tired of hearing complaints about him. We'll let, we'll let it end on that. Sam Lucardo, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michael. Have a good weekend. You too. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prell, uh, and uh, Blanca Torres and Susan Britton. Senior editor is Dan Zoll. Engineer is Danny Bringer. Intern Jameson Weiss. Executive editor Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And Chief Content Officer Holly Kernan. I'm Michael Krasny.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.